Hi everybody, it's John from CEO Raider. Check us out online at ceorader.com. The only place online where investors, employees, and customers may come together and leave their anonymous feedback about a particular company and or CEO. So I know it'd be relevant given tonight's podcast, as you'll hear in a minute. Why don't you visit us online? And if you are an Equifax customer, leave a review. Post an anonymous review about CEO Richard Smith or about the company in general. If you are an Equifax employee, what do you think about your CEO today? You know, his equity package last year was about, what was it, 17 million? If you are an Equifax investor, how do you feel about Equifax? Leave a review. By the way, for institutional investors, your commentary on our platform may only be seen by other institutional investors. So we have a, a provision such that customers and employees may see customer and employee feedback, but not institutional investor feedback. Institutional investors may see all, all feedback on the platform. So let's, let's, let's start out with the easy one. There are a couple of subjects today. I'll start out with the easy one and then we'll dig into Equifax. So the easy one, and I say this with love, not to be critical, it's just a teachable moment. So you may have seen the news today that, that Excel Partners, for those of you who don't know, Excel is a venture capital firm. They invest in technology, software and related services, and amongst other areas of technology. And they put $40 million, I believe was the number, into the Zebra, Z-E-B-R-A, the Zebra is an insurance comparison website. So what they do, like a number of other companies that look like Zebra, the Zebra is a price comparison website. The Zebra is a website where consumers may visit it and compare auto insurance quotes from a number of different carriers on the Zebra's platform. So much like the commercials you see on TV with Progressive, and they talk about price comparisons, a number of the insurance carriers allow you to visit their website, and they will put their quote next to that of certain competitors. Well, the Zebra just you know does just that. They sort of aggregate quotes from a number of different insurance carriers in a number of different states and allow consumers to do quote research. Uh, before selecting a, an insurance carrier. So my pushback is, a, is a, you know, from a couple of different perspectives. One would be, you know, if you are a limited partner at Excel, you know, questions you should ask would be, for example, what if the carriers were to pull their quotes from your platform, your being the zebra? So I don't know what the number is, but let's, let's just assume that the zebra works with 50 different carriers, five zero. And what happens if tomorrow... And I don't know what the zebras contracts are with those with those various carriers, what the duration of the contracts are. But let's assume contracts expire and the carriers say, decide, you know what, we're, we're going to go at it alone. We want to publish our own quotes direct online to consumers, and maybe we'll even partner with uh, with some other carriers and um, you know together agree to to publish our quotes. So what happens to the value of that investment in the zebra? And you may say, hey, well, that's sort of a black swan event. We don't expect that to happen. Well, didn't Disney just say they're going to pull their content from Netflix? If you're an insurance carrier or an institutional investor in one of the insurance carriers that has agreed to work with the Zebra or any one of a number of other different quoting platforms, you should be asking, why did you agree to do this? Why allow yourself to become potentially disintermediated if you're the carrier, from your prospective customers. So that's the initial touch point for many insurance carriers is, is when customer prospects are, are doing their quoting research. And don't you want to be the one, you the carrier, don't you want to be the one to 
capture that initial touch point with the with the prospect rather than leave it to the zebra or one of the other quoting engines so i'm, I'm trying to figure out why the quoting engines even exist well, i know why they exist because the carriers you know apparently didn't see the, the the risk the opportunity cost and so the quoting engine companies stepped into the breach i mean I, I i get why it happened but i just don't understand how strategically the insurance companies could allow that to happen so institutional investors hold your carriers you know the the the, uh, the insurance carriers that you've invested in hold their feet to the fire next time you talk to the ceo whether it's after an earnings call or um, during a non-deal road show whatever the issue may be have that conversation because it doesn't make any sense to me i don't see how you justify it at all and maybe excel knows something i i don't maybe excel sees an opportunity to roll out additional services beyond the quoting engine and but to, to write a 40 million dollar check typically you have to feel pretty secure about the core business and maybe excel says hey you know 80 90 percent of our contracts that the zebra has with the carriers they're, they're in place for the next three to five years and by the time the carriers wise up and maybe move away from those contracts we're going to be out of the company you know we'll, we'll we will have participated in our round we'll be looked and we'll be looking to exit fully although i doubt that would be the case to to, to exit and, you know completely from the position in in several years so i just I'm, I'm perplexed by that one so now let's let's just put that aside and look at equifax so the news that just came out about maybe half hour or so ago was that and it's not a shock right but that the the uh, the the people who committed the data breach the the nefarious parties or party who committed the data breach have been trolling around equifax's systems since march which is typically what what, what happens it's not like uh in the, in the case of a data breach that the victim you know the company who's been victimized it, it, it's not like they discover the breach within minutes or hours or, or several days of, of the breach occurring you, usually they find out that the nefarious actor has been you know trolling through that company's data for a period of time an extended period of time before before it's discovered with, with equifax you know to me it's just it's just mind-boggling that you know and maybe somebody has but i haven't seen it i haven't seen anybody call for in the in the investor community call for the removal of ceo richard smith and i know they terminated their chief security officer and, and somebody else uh, there may have been one or two other other folks but when your core business is capturing and maintaining pii data and i hate to sound like a broken record but so you know equifax transunion fico visa mastercard to a degree uh financial institutions you know, so if you, if, if you have customer records around credit card numbers, date of birth, social security numbers, home addresses, this type of thing, PII data, if that's your core business, as is the case with Equifax, then you as CEO have to own that issue. And if you're not, you know, if that isn't a core focus of yours, a core priority, then you have to wonder what, what are you focusing on if that's not an area of focus? Rev generation, you know, protecting the core, new product. I get it. There's a, there's a lot of um, time, thought, effort, strategic, tactical level that goes into the execution around driving revenue and profitability. I, I, I get that. But if you don't protect that PII data from your existing customers, the whole business is gone. And so Equifax failed to do that massively. And I know what Congress is going to drag. There's going to be a Senate panel, I think is what it was. There's going to be a Senate panel. They're going to drag Richard Smith in front of the Senate panel and question him to death. And maybe after that, that's that's when he goes. I'm not sure, but you know, institutional investors should be up in arms because the company's only going to hail once you once you remove him, Richard Smith. And the way you do it, particularly if you're a large institutional investor, is you let the company know your thoughts. You call Richard Smith and you tell him we want you to step down. We have lost faith in you. You failed to do your core job 
And therefore, we can't help but ask ourselves, you know, what the heck else isn't this guy doing or is he doing that he shouldn't be doing? We just, we just don't have faith in you, so step down. And if Richard Smith resists, you go to the board and you tell the board, we want you. We've already asked Richard, so we're not speaking out of school. We've, we've told him we want him gone from the company, effective immediately. He's resisted. We're going to continue that campaign, but we're letting you know that we want him gone. And you do this over the phone, you do this in writing. You can do an open letter and go public with it. But you tell the board, if if you don't remove Richard Smith, then we're going to start removing you. And we're going to nominate a new slate of directors. And you're all going to be gone. And it's interesting, as we said in prior podcasts, that sometimes there's a risk in not having insiders on the board. And if you look at Equifax's board, the only insider is Richard Smith. Everybody else is an outsider. You get a lot of financial types on the board. Now, in the case of Equifax, they're so inept. I'm guessing if they had another insider on the board, it would have been uh, the, the, the former chief security officer who sat on the board. And if you had a board who you know met the three I's, the three I criteria that we put out last week in our podcast... Now you have a rich discussion, and you're not just talking about revenue opportunity, profitability, long-term strategic issues, diversity. You're not just talking about that stuff, but you're also talking about what are we doing around cyber? What is our plan for execution around cybersecurity? And in 2017, if you had a strong senior management team in in Equifax's business and these PII-centric businesses, if you had a strong management team and a strong board in 2017, you would have already had a, a robust cybersecurity plan deployed that probably would have been deployed 10 years ago. And it would be more about how are we you know, tweaking it? How are we leveraging best practices? How are we affecting thought leadership in the area? Who maybe in and out of industry are we partnering with to, to, to share best practices and to make sure we're, we're ahead of the bad guys? Because it is a cat and mouse game. You can't stand pat. If you're not moving forward, like they say about teams in the NFL, if you feel the same team that you fielded last year, you're, you're losing a step. And it, it's the same here. You know, technology is a fluid game, but then when it comes to cyber theft and data breaches and such, that is an extremely fluid game. And you have to assume that the bad guys are always moving, incrementally improving, very much a cat and mouse game. So it will be interesting to see what happens. And again, I'm just surprised that, frankly, what is it now, two weeks out, that Richard Smith still has a job. It's probably one of the most egregious failures. It's worse than Wells Fargo. I could see how something like what happened at Wells Fargo gets buried. This is Equifax's core business. It's a baseline requirement of the CEO job to protect the PII data of our customers because it is the engine that drives our enterprise value, frankly. If we lose the trust and faith in this area, we're not going to have an enterprise value. And what's the stock down to 95? What was it at 135, 140 prior to the breach? It's going to keep bleeding over time until he's removed. And you'll start to see them. My guess would be they'll start to miss numbers. They've taken their focus away. Good luck. See everybody next week.